Well, good morning. I hope everybody's having a great beginning to your new year. Uh, I hope that uh, you haven't yet abandoned your New Year's resolutions. Maybe a few of you have. Maybe, maybe a few of you are now going to pretend like you never made them because uh, it's easier that way. That's uh, how I've operated for many years. Um, well, I want to welcome you. My name's Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and uh, I want to welcome you not only to our church, but also to our very first week of a new series that we're starting um, called Soul Repair. Um, the name for this um, comes from um, a letter that I was reading. Uh, it wasn't written to me, but it was written by uh, a, a missionary in China. And um, they were talking about their process of learning uh, Mandarin Chinese and, and trying to get a handle and a grasp on the language. And in the process, you know, anytime you start learning a language, uh, you, you start with very basic vocabulary and you learn a few key words and phrases and, and then you slowly start to build upon that. And um, this particular uh, missionary uh, had their, and I can't remember if it was their washing machine or dryer or something had broke. And uh, so they called uh, someone to have them come and fix it. Um, and in that process, they realized, um, started to, to put pieces of the, the, the Mandarin language together. Um, and uh, in, in Chinese, uh, in Mandarin, um, Chinese Christians often refer to um, that special time that they set aside to spend with God, whether, you know... Depending on your background, if you grew up in a church background, you probably learned to call this a quiet time uh, or a devotional time. Uh, you, you may have some kind of familiarity with a phrase like that, but they refer to it uh, as Ling Xiu. And what, what this Chinese missionary realized is in learning part of the language and calling this um, Mr. Fixit to show up, um, that that his title, what, we, what he was there to do, was to repair the washer. And the word that he used for that was shiu. And then all of a sudden, this missionary started putting the pieces together and realized that when the Chinese refer to their devotional time as ling shiu, they refer to it as soul repair, is what it literally means. And um, as I was reading this letter, I, I just I, it really impacted me because I thought, how accurate of a description is it um, of, of what we try to do when we connect with God uh, in, in our own personal walk, whether it's through a time of prayer or reflection or reading your Bible or um, the different ways in which you may prefer or particularly enjoy connecting with God, um, how appropriate is it to call it soul repair? But because I love to check facts and check you know, background on things, uh, the first thing I did was I texted Marcellus, because if you guys know Marcellus, he's fluent in Mandarin. And so uh, I texted him, and I'm like, is this true? I just want to make sure that I don't, like, we don't, like, create this whole series and throw up the Chinese characters, and then it turns out it means, like, you know, green dog or something, like, when you throw it up there. Like, I just, you know how, you know how it is? I was like, can you verify these things with me? And so we were talking about it after church last week as we were tearing down, standing here. And then Roselle walks up and he's like, wait, you speak Mandarin? And Marcel's like, yeah. They literally right here on the floor just start talking in Mandarin together. I'm like, what is going on? Um, and so, but I got it confirmed that, uh, that this is correct. Um, but what we're going to do over the next several weeks, really through the month of January, as we start 2018 off, um, is to take some time to really talk about what it means to connect with God, 
to talk about some practical ways in which we can do that um, and, and give you both sort of maybe a few of the hows and, and uh, a lot more of the why. Why, why is it that we want to connect with, with God and, and then maybe give you some practical tips along the way as we really look at finding kind of repair and restoration for our souls. You know, you, it doesn't take long to, to look around and realize that our world is not as it should be, that something is broken. And, and that's easy to do when you turn on the news. It's easy to do when you check a Facebook or a Twitter feed to realize that our world is broken. But if we were honest, which sometimes is actually harder to do with ourselves than we acknowledge, if we're honest, we recognize even within us, there are things that are broken. There are things that are not as they should be. And this time that we're going to spend together in January will really be focused on how to find that restoration, how, how to find repair for your soul, and, and really how to encourage and equip you to spend time with the Lord. Um, you know, there are a lot of stories and instances in the Bible when things weren't as they should be, when things didn't go as planned. Um, one particular story an instant that comes to my mind is with the story of King David in the Old Testament. Now, we love King David. Uh, we like to talk about him, about him defeating Goliath, about many of the great things that he did. Certainly he had some character flaws like anybody in the Bible. Um, but um, we love to talk about the great things that he did. But if sometimes when we think about stories in the Bible or we read the Bible, sometimes what we don't realize is when you turn from one page to the other, you may be turning a page on several months or several years or even several decades. Sometimes we go from one story to the next as though they, they happen like that. And sometimes there are decades in between these stories. Before David became king, um, there was a man named Saul who was anointed king. Um, initially, as, as God was leading the nation of Israel, they didn't have a king because God was supposed to be their king. He was supposed to be their leader, their ruler, their protector, their judge, all of it. But the Israelites looked around and said, every other nation has a king. We want one too. We don't want to be the weirdos. We don't want to be different. We want a king. God was basically like, no, you don't. And they were like, yeah, we do. And so God said, fine, I'll give you what you want. And then we'll find out how much you really like it. Anyone else ever had that happen in your life? The answer is yes, if you're over like seven, right? You've asked for something, you've gotten it, and you've realized you did not want what you asked for. And so Saul was anointed king and for a little while did a decent job. But eventually Saul started looking at himself more highly than he ought to have. Started thinking of himself as a little bit better of a leader, of a man, of a military, uh, you know, strategy strategy and, and, and all the things that he could, he could do, he started to think of himself a little more highly than he ought. And eventually he decided, I don't have to listen to God. I got this. I know how to lead a nation by myself. And because of his arrogance and because of his disobedience to what God had commanded him, God told him, you're no longer going to be king. I'm going to take the throne away from your line and I'm going to anoint someone else king. And if you remember the story, if you grew up in church, if you've read much of the Bible, you, you may remember this, that, that 
eventually, very soon after, God chooses a small shepherd boy, the runt of his family, to be the next king of the greatest uh, military and, and economic power in the, that region of the world of the time. And, and says, I'm going to make this one a, a young boy, but whose heart is after my heart. I'm going to make him king over the whole nation. Now, so we get that picture, and then we usually revert straight to, oh yeah, and then David does become king. So everything ends happily ever after. But here's what we often don't remember or even recognize. There were somewhere between 30 to 40 years between when David was anointed and, and called the future king and when he actually took the throne. Now think about that for a minute, okay? The nation's greatest prophet walks up to you and says, God has chosen you to be the next king over the greatest nation in this part of the world. And you're going to spend the next 30 years waiting? Not only are you going to spend the next 30 years waiting, but the current king knows what God has done and is going to try to kill you because you're a threat. Because God has now given to you what was originally promised to him. And you'll spend the next 30 years serving the king, but always looking behind your back because he's trying to kill you. Now, sometimes we turn the page and we're like, anointed king? Oh, he becomes king. That's great. And we miss the decades in between of real life, of struggle, of desperation. Many of the Psalms are written by David. Some of them as he was king, some of them before he was king. But really reflecting on God's character and the way that God interacts and relates with us in our own lives and, and knowing what it's like to be in a, a desert. Knowing what it's like to, to have this idea of what things should become and how things should be yet realizing that my life doesn't match what should be. David understand what it's like to say, God has anointed me as king over the nation. But I'll spend the next 30 years as a servant trying to avoid assassination. He, he knows what it's like to be in that strange place of saying, I know it should be something different. I know life should look differently than it really does. And many of the Psalms are David's reflection on real life, ups and downs. If you're careful when you read the Psalms and you read them slowly, sometimes you'll feel like David's even bipolar because he'll switch from anger and depression to rejoicing like this and then sometimes back because he's reflecting on real life. In Psalms 84, David begins to talk about our soul's desire for the Lord. Now, this is not going to be on your screen, um, but if you want, some of the scriptures we're going to talk about later will be, but if you want to open up your Bible, whether you're going to use one in the seat that was 
uh, it, it provided for you in one of the seats if you brought your own. Or our recommendation is that you pull out your phone or your tablet and open up the Bible app because that's a lot easier, much quicker. Um, and while you have the Bible app open, if you'll click Live Events, you can click Element Church and it'll open up to our page. Um, your phone will know that you're at Element Church when you open it up. And uh, you can follow along with everything we're doing. Our announcements will be inside the Bible app and you can click and respond to links within the Bible app uh, as we make our announcements towards the end of the service today. But Psalms 84, Psalm 84, we're going to read a little bit of it now and then we'll come back to, to it in, in, a little bit later. Starting in verse 1, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. David's expressing this recognition that our soul is in desperate need of God. That there's this longing that sometimes is even hard to put into words or to explain. That we know something's broken and we long to be connected back to the one who can make it right, who can bring restoration to us. But restoration doesn't happen by accident. A pastor that I served under um, many years ago when I was first in ministry um, used to say this, and he said it a lot, and he said it enough that it just sank deep down into me and, and, and has kind of resonated with me. And he said that everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. Listen, every one of us will be somewhere in five years. Every one of us will be somewhere December 31st. But only a few people will be somewhere on purpose. Most of us, if we're honest, will arrive at December 31st, 2018. We will arrive at whatever destination in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years. And we will arrive there, but it'll mostly be determined by our circumstances or decisions other people made. Few people will end up somewhere on purpose. And what we want to do in this series is to help give you the, the tools and the inspiration to end up somewhere on purpose in your relationship with God. A great example of this principle is me and the fact that I put on about like 15 pounds this last year. Now, I talked about this a little bit last week, and it was a terrible mistake because um, Roselle and I were hanging out Sunday after church in the afternoon. We were talking about kind of essentially preparing. You know, last Sunday was December 31st, so you know, you get to look forward to the new year. And I told you last week, like, I'm an anti resolution person, so uh, I made a non resolution resolution um, uh, last week. And, and I just knew, like, I have just not really cared and not really been intentional and put on some weight and gotten out of shape. And I, I wanted to change that. And I made the mistake of saying it publicly because Mar- Roselle and I were talking about it after church. And, and he was like, yeah, you really said that to everyone. I was like, yep, I did. And then I woke up the next morning and I'm like, shouldn't have said anything because I really don't want to work out. <laughs> it would have been a lot better if I had just kept my mouth shut and not made a resolution like I usually do. Because then I... I didn't have to feel like 
anyone was going to ask about it or it was going to matter. Every one of us in our health and fitness will be somewhere on December 31st. But will you be somewhere on purpose? Will Will it be by design? Because being in shape, being fit, being healthy, we all know, does not happen by accident. It has to be planned. You have to work towards it. The same is true with our relationship with God. We don't end up to a place where maybe you look at someone else and you go, man, I admire their faith. Man, I admire their knowledge of the Bible. Man, I admire the way they pray. I admire their boldness and their courage in talking about God and Jesus to others. You you can look at other people's lives and say, man, I admire that, but recognize that they didn't get there by accident. And this principle applies to every aspect of our lives. And the the men who wrote the Bible understood this and utilized these principles as they were teaching uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24, this is, this is what Paul says. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every a- athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul uses this analogy of an athlete. He says, you you don't run aimlessly, you don't box the air for no reason, no purpose. There's, There's a purpose behind what you do. And here he says, I'm going to apply that to my life. And all this talk about an athlete and the way that they train and run and compete, he ends by saying, uh, but I discipline, discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's applying it to his own spiritual life to say, too, listen, I have to be intentional with my spiritual life. Because maybe I'm doing a lot of good today. Paul's in the midst of starting dozens of churches at this point in the first century when he writes this. He says, I may be doing a lot of good work today, but if I'm not careful and if I'm not intentional, I could one day find myself disqualified. But I won't let it happen. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing a letter to a young pastor. He's giving him some encouragement, some ideas, some training. And he says this, If you put these things before the brothers, this is 1 Timothy 4, starting in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. He's essentially saying, if you'll take all this that I've taught you and put it before the church, it'd be a really good idea. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Train yourselves, train yourself for godliness. 
becoming more and more like God in your character, in your heart, in your love for others. That will not happen by accident. But Paul says, you got to train yourself for it. You have to be intentional. You have to make a plan to make this happen. This is sort of a verse that um, I have to remind myself of already. I mean, it's only been a week, but I'm already like having to remind myself like there is some value in exercising, right? Even in verse 8, he says, for while bodily training is of some value, all right, we're not saying that this is only a spiritual principle. Paul's trying to say, yeah, you should probably be healthy. As a matter of fact, in his letter to Timothy, Paul's even going to give him instructions on what he drinks because he's like, hey, you're unhealthy. You need to change some things up. All right? Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. Becoming more like God in your heart and your character, in the way you think, in the way you see other people. The Bible teaches us that when, when God was preparing to anoint David, and um, the prophet was looking for the next king. And uh, God told him it's going to come from, uh, from one of Jesse's boys. So prophet goes and he gets Jesse and he has all of his sons line up and essentially goes down the line and God's like, nope, 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 nope. And he gets the end of the line and no king. So the prophet asked Jesse, they're like, is this all your boys? He's like, well, no. The shepherd boy, the runt of the family, he's still out with the sheep. He's not king material, right? So we didn't line him up. The prophet's like, well, you better go get him because none of these boys are the next king. And then here comes David, probably smells terrible. He lives with sheep. He's small. He's the youngest of all his brothers. The prophet's like, yep, that's the next king. And part of what the prophet says there is, while man looks on the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Part of godliness is learning how to look at people the way God sees people. And as we recognize that something's broken, as we're drawn towards, towards God, and we, we can recognize Him, and my soul longs for Him, my soul longs for restoration, even if I don't know fully what it looks like, even if I can't describe how it'll take place, I know that something's broken, and I know that God is calling me to find wholeness and restoration that godliness will not happen by accident. It will, be, it will happen by intentionality. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The author here just kind of taking a moment to step back and reflect and, and look at a big picture, kind of a 30,000 foot view. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, track is, um, is one of my favorite sports, right? I'm one of the few people who, one, like I love 
watching the track events during the Summer Olympics. Like, let's be honest, during the Summer and the Winter Olympics, all of us watch sports that we would never otherwise watch, right? I will never sit down and watch a gymnastics competition, but at the Olympics, I somehow get suckered into watching gymnastics, right? Like, I will never in my life watch curling. It's, it's still don't fully understand it, but I will watch it when it's in the Olympics, right? Like, we all do that, right? We're all going to watch sports we would never normally watch. Well, I will watch track in the off-season, or at least the non-Olympic season for most people. Like, um, for whatever reason, we have this, like, streaming internet TV thing because we don't have normal cable, and we get the Pac-12 network. Kind of annoying. I wish we had the Big 12 network, but we don't because they don't have one. But... Um, Pac-12 is known for really good track and field schools, and there are a lot of college track and field uh, competitions on this Pac-12 network, and I love watching them. Uh, I've been the coach, the, the head girls track coach here for a number of years, and love coaching track. Um, and even, I don't even know how much Paul knows about track, but, but I love what he says here and how applicable it is to our spiritual lives. One, he says... Run with endurance the race. So when we start every track season, okay, if I have 60 girls on my track team, 58 of them think they're sprinters. The reality is one, maybe two of them are sprinters. All right, that's literally our first meeting. I have to go through all these rules, and then I usually tell them, most of you are not fast. I know you think you are, but you're not. Right? There's a difference between being fast on the playground and being fast on the track. Right, right, Geneva? That girl's fast on the track. I can, I can, I can assure you of that one. Um, so we'll always, so I'm, I'm constantly trying to train people how to run the 800 in the mile because I know that we can score a lot of points in that event and, 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 and win as a team. So I'm always training and trying to put people in the 800 in the mile. And... Uh, no matter how many times you tell them, half of them on the very first track meet, the very first time they're, they're going to run the mile, right? There's all this adrenaline going. They're pumped. They hate the mile, but they're going to win anyways. And the gun goes off, and boom, they take off as fast as they can. And just instantly, and, and all of us track coaches are standing together, and every one of us have a few athletes from every school that do it, and they go, boom, and we start laughing because we know none of those will even finish the race, right? Because, one, they're going to max out at probably at 100 meters, maybe 200 meters, and they aren't even 25% of the way at that point. They're not going to finish the race. There's, there's a way to start a race like that with the finish line in mind. It doesn't matter if you're the first one out of the gates. It matters if you're the first one across the line. And, and Paul is, I think, trying to teach us a lesson here about keeping the end game in mind. And then he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. One of the worst things you can do as a track athlete, is to look at other athletes. And we try to communicate and teach athletes all the time. It does not matter what anyone else around you is doing. Don't look at them. 
don't worry about them. If you want to worry about someone, worry about them in the last 20 meters. Other than that, it doesn't matter. You run your race. And so many times they start running and they want to look. They want to know what are other people doing? How are they running? Should I speed up? Should I slow down? Because they're not thinking about the race they're running. They're thinking about a race someone else is running. And here Paul says, we're going to look to Jesus and remember the race we're running. Yeah, maybe you're not where you want to be in your Bible knowledge or your prayer life or your faith and your courage and your boldness. Be encouraged by someone who is, but recognize there was a day when they didn't know a lot. They didn't believe a lot. They didn't trust a lot. They didn't have a lot of boldness and courage. Run your race. Keep your eyes on Jesus, not on someone else, and about whether or not you're better or worse than them. Training for godliness is going to require planning and intentionality. Now, we didn't get a lot into a lot of specifics today. Um, we're going to do that in the coming weeks and talking more specific about reading your Bible and, and doing, uh, having personal devotional time and prayer and, and different, different what we would call spiritual disciplines, even though disciplines is not a fun word, but that's just what it is. Um, spiritual disciplines that we can implement into our lives that will help us move towards the finish line, to help us move towards where we want to go. And so we'll get more practical in the coming weeks, but this is really just kind of laying the foundation for it's going to require intentionality. It won't happen by accident. If you don't do something on purpose, come December 31st, you'll know nothing more about God. You'll know nothing more about the Bible unless you accidentally pick up something here, which, let's be honest, after your nap today, most of you aren't even going to remember what I said. I get it. Like, I know how it works, right? You, you may pick up a few things this year. You might remember a few things. But if you're intentional, you'll be amazed at the places God will take you. Spiritual growth is like physical growth. Look in the mirror every day. You never see a change. Look at a picture from a year ago. Whether that's good news or bad news, you notice the difference. That's what will happen in your spiritual life. But let me say this. Spiritual disciplines, this intentionality, is a means not an end. We don't read our Bible for the sake of reading our Bible. We don't pray for the sake of prayer. To be able to check off a box on some spiritual to-do list that makes us feel good about ourselves. These are a means, not an end. So as we give some practical advice, take what works and toss what doesn't. So long as you're learning and seeking to find ways that you can grow closer to God. All of you will have different personalities and preferences that will work differently for you. Some of you are going to want to wake up at 3 a.m. to start reading your Bible, right? If I wake up at 3 a.m. to read my Bible, I promise I'm not being more godly. I can promise you that, right? I'm not a morning person, all right? I don't really want to do anything valuable until a few cups of coffee, all right? Uh, I'm just not a morning person, so that's not appealing to me, right? 
For some of you, that is. For some of you, it's about sitting down in a quiet room and reading. For some of you, it's listening to the Bible uh, on audio book or, you know, on Audible. Or actually, the Bible app will read you the Bible. You can plug it in and listen to it on your drive to work. Do they have different kinds of voices? I know Jay loves to listen to the Bible. Is there like one? Okay, I didn't know. I've never listened to the Bible through the Bible app, but... Yeah, it'll read it to you while you're driving. There's so many ways. But these spiritual disciplines are a means, not an end. Jesus encountered people in his day who treated certain religious activities as an end. And as we close today, this is I'm going to read this for you. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 23. I don't believe this will be on the screen for you but you can find it in, in, in your app or, or in your Bible. Jesus said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of his day. Hypocrites. For you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin. I'll explain that in a minute. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Um, tithing is, is a biblical um, word for giving. Um, now we give to the church. Back then it would have been to the synagogue. And, and um, God's standard was give 10% of, you know, essentially what comes in, your crops, your animals, you know, back in, in this type of society. And, and these religious leaders were so focused on the rules they even tithed 10% out of their spices, out of their herb garden. They were making sure to take 10% off and bring it to the church. But they had no love, they had no, lo- they had no mercy, and they didn't care about justice. And Jesus is saying, you've missed the heart of God. I mean, congratulations that you gave 10% of your, your spices, You've missed the big picture. He goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. If Jesus ever says anything to you, this is not what you want it to be which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These Pharisees were the religious elite of their day. Just to advance to the second stage of schooling, and there were multiple stages, they had to have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Most of us have a hard time reading numbers. All five books committed to memory by age 13 in order to advance to stage two. These people had all of the rules. They knew them by heart, and they followed every one of them. But they missed the big picture. They had treated spiritual disciplines as an end, as though if you do all these things, you're now good. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That just means you look really good. 
but inside you're dead. What we're going to talk about this month is not about you doing more and trying to be better. Trust me, as God restores your soul, as he repairs the inside of you, the outside will work itself out. We won't worry about that. That'll take care of itself. We aren't talking about something to do to make you feel better about yourself or to look impressive to others. This is about connecting back to the heart of God. As we close, Psalm 84. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. This longing for restoration. And then here's what he'll say later on towards the end. Verse 8. O Lord of God, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, our God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. God, if I get nothing else, I want to be with you. I hope that's our prayer. God, if I get nothing else in 2018, I don't get the promotion. I don't lose the weight. I don't do all. If, if I get nothing else, I want you. Because being with you is more valuable than anything else. That is a prayer God will answer. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for our time together this morning. And, and I just pray, God, that you would encourage and inspire and challenge us this morning to draw near to you. None of us are perfect. None of us uh, are worthy of drawing near to you. But we draw near to you because of what you have done for us. As the writer of Hebrews says, that we can draw near in confidence because as we draw near to you, we know that, that you understand the struggles that we deal with in life. You understand our weaknesses. And God, I just ask that you would move and speak in this place, in this time, in this moment. If you'll keep your eyes closed for just a moment. We need to just give you a, a few minutes of an opportunity to spend in reflection and thought and prayer. And maybe you don't even know what to pray. And maybe, maybe you just ask God, would you give me a desire? Would you, would you stir something up in me so my soul does long for you? Would you give me the desire to spend time with you, to seek you out? Would you give me that motivation to, to train for godliness? In the coming weeks, we're going to, talk about some details, we'll be more practical. But right now, I, I pray that you would just seek for a heart that desires God, desires to know Him more, to draw closer, to draw nearer to Him. And if you will, right where you sit, right now, if you will just pray what's on your heart, whatever you're feeling, in just total honesty to God, allow him to meet you where you are. Don't be fake. Don't try to pray what you think you're supposed to. Be honest. Be real. And that's the place where God will come and meet with you.
today becomes your starting line, your opportunity to move forward on purpose with the finish line in mind. Lord, would you continue to move and to speak as we just approach you in an attitude of prayer and reflection this morning. Encourage us, inspire us, and challenge us. Each of us, right where we are, we seek you because you're worth it. If we get nothing else, you're all we need.